Let us all turn to the Word of God together. We're going to read today from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. You've often heard me say, just preceding the reading, let us all turn to this word of life, this book of books, this God-breathed word. I think I need to say that from time to time, because while we all know the, the, the privilege we have of holding in our hands the word of God. Sometimes we may just say, oh, it's the Bible, it's the Bible reading. Nothing wrong with that expression. But nevertheless, we could overlook the fact that this is no ordinary book, that it's the God-breathed word. Every bit of it, every book of the Bible, every chapter of the Bible, every verse of the Bible, every word of the Bible, is the God-breathed word. That means, if we keep that in mind all the time, endeavor to do that, we're going to say then with burden of soul every time we open the book, Lord, now, this is thy word, speak to me. It's Joshua 5, and verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted Neither was there spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now, all the people that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. 
and their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal, which means a rolling, a rolling away. It's called Gilgal unto this day. Biblical names, especially in the Old Testament, are significant. And there are those occasions, as is uh, done here, to draw to the attention of the reader the meaning of the name and the reason why that place was given the name that it possesses. The place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And now matters of interest that pertain so much to life in the wilderness. Verse 12, And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. It must be apparent from that that the manna came from heaven by special provision from God. The manna was not plucked like fruit from some trees or other, some other forms of vegetation as a few commentators have alleged at times. But you can see that the manna was really special. God's own provision for his people. It was a miracle in itself that the manna came. Now the close of the chapter, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the hosts of the Lord am I now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him now this is the question what saith my Lord unto his servant 
And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, This thy shoe from off thy foot. Verse 13, the place where all thou standest. Generally, the verse 13 of Joshua 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Let's keep our Bibles open. Let's pray together. Let's really invite the Lord to speak your hearts. Let's have no distractions and let's call upon the Lord and ask him for his grace and help as we open his word together. Father, we thank thee today for thy word. We pray, O God, that as we open it now, that the Spirit of God will apply it to our hearts. Pray for the infilling of the Spirit of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit himself will open our hearts and open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law, and help us, O God, to hear thy speaking voice in the inner man, and grant, O God, that a work might be done in every heart. Father, we pray that you'll close us in with thyself. Grant, Lord, that we might have an audience with our God, and that the Lord will be glorified by and by. Hear and answer prayer. We ask it according to thy will, in the name of thy Son, and for thine everlasting glory. Amen. Joshua chapter 4 deals with Joshua and the children of Israel crossing Jordan. And then Joshua chapter 6 deals with Joshua and the children of Israel conquering Jericho. Both events are monumental and momentous events in the history of of Israel. Joshua 4, the crossing of Jordan, speaks of a new beginning for the Israelite people. They have finished their wilderness journeys. They have crossed over Jordan. They have entered now into the borders of the land of Canaan. And what happened in Joshua chapter 4, by the way of crossing of Jordan, it was a miraculous and a momentous event. And many times whenever we read in God's word about the river Jordan, it speaks about death and it speaks about resurrection. And I believe today that before the children of Israel could really enter into the place of blessing, they had to cross Jordan and there had to be death to self and death to the old life. And I believe today as God's people and as individuals, if we are to enter into the place of victory and the place of blessing, there needs to be a funeral. And God's people have to die to self and die to sin and die to this old world of ours. And that's a New Testament principle. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can I ask you today, 
Has there been a time in your life whenever you have consciously, gladly, willingly given God your life, your soul, your all, in light of Calvary? Have you died to self and sin and given your life to God? Is your life today a living sacrifice? Have you taken up the cross? Have you died to self and sin? Have you crossed the Jordan? Joshua 4, the crossing of Jordan. Joshua chapter 6, the conquering of Jericho. And Jericho was one of the first great battles that the Israelite children, the children of God would face. Now that they have crossed Jordan, there has to be a conquering of Jericho. If they're going to possess their possessions and dwell in the land and experiencing the blessing of God that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow, they had to conquer Jericho. And the Christian life is a battle. And some of us today are facing personal Jerichos. You might be facing a personal Jericho in your Christian life. Maybe you've reached a crossroads. You're praying about your future. You're praying about the will of God for your life. Maybe today you're facing a personal battle. It might be loneliness. It might be a, a battle in the home or a battle in the family or a battle in the workplace. And maybe you're struggling and God knows your struggles. God knows your battles. God knows that you've trusted the Lord. God knows that you've crossed Jordan. God knows today that your life is in His hands. But there are battles that must be fought and won if we are to secure God's blessings in our lives as individuals. I wonder today what Jericho you're facing as an individual. But between Joshua 4 and Joshua 6, of course, you've got Joshua chapter 5. And in Joshua 5, we see Jehovah preparing Joshua for Jericho. Jehovah preparing Joshua for Jericho. And by and large, that happened whenever the Lord Himself, the Son of God, Christ Himself, appeared to Joshua in Joshua 5, 13. It came to pass... When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And so in life's battles, as we face life's battles, as we face our personal Jerichos, if we're going to live victorious Christian lives, if we're going to conquer our Jerichos, it's critical, it's vital that we have fresh experiences with our God and with our Savior. And oh, that the Lord would visit our hearts today. As we think about another Christophany, Christ this time appearing to Joshua, let's consider, as we have done in weeks gone by, the context of this Christophany. The first 12 verses give us the context of this Christophany. Joshua 5 is really a mark of a new beginning as far as the children of Israel are concerned. And I'm glad today that the God that we serve is the God of new beginnings. And maybe we need a new beginning with God this morning. 
Maybe that's the great need of your life, the great need of your home, the great need of our church, the great need perhaps of our nation. But whenever we bring it down to an individual level, maybe the great need that you have is a new beginning with God this morning. And the children of Israel now are venturing into a new beginning with God. The very first verse shows the impact of the miracle of the crossing of Jordan had on the enemies of God's people. It says, when they came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites were on the side of Jordan westward, and the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. God had done great things for his people. And as the enemies of Israel looked on and heard about the great things that God has done, they were filled with fear and their hearts melted. And oh, that God would so work in the lives of his people in our day and generation. And that oh, that God would so work in his church that the world would look on and their hearts might melt as God revives his people, brings them out of a wilderness experience, brings them across Jordan to a place of consecration and surrender, and that the Lord would give great victory, and that the world might know again that the God of Israel and the God of his people still lives. And prior to the conquering of Jericho, there needed to be a getting back to basics. And I believe that's what Joshua 5 deals with in the opening verses. A getting back to basics. It's my conviction that the church of Jesus Christ in our day and generation needs to get back to the basics and the fundamentals of Christian living. We are living in a day and generation whenever it is so easy to be carried about with every wind of doctrine. And to have our eyes taken off the fundamental principles and truths of God's Word. And so before the Lord visited His people, and before the Lord brought victory in conquering Jericho, there had to be a getting back to basics. And you'll see in verse 2, down to verse number 9, that there was a renewal of circumcision. Verse 2, at that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God had made with his Old Testament people, Israel. First of all, he called for Abraham to be circumcised and to circumcise his own children. And that circumcision was a badge of a covenant that God made with Abraham and his children and his posterity. And if you look there at Genesis chapter 15, at the end of the chapter, God not only made a covenant with Abraham and his people, but he incorporated the land into that covenant. And to this very day, there's a great, a great battle for the land of Israel. And we see it away back there in Genesis chapter 15. In the same day, verse 18, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. And it was an eternal, everlasting covenant. And circumcision was the badge of the covenant. 
And Moses had circumcised the children of Israel as they began their wilderness journeys. But now Moses has died. And all of the children of Israel that Moses had circumcised, they too had died in the wilderness. And now that the children of Israel have crossed over the river Jordan, God calls Joshua to circumcise the next generation. Now circumcision was an outward sign of something that should happen in the hearts of every child of God. Jeremiah speaks about circumcising the foreskins of your hearts. So circumcision wasn't merely an outward thing. There was an inward reality, a dealing with the flesh, a dealing with the old nature, a cutting off of the flesh, a separating of oneself unto God. And here Joshua is called to circumcise the children of Israel the second time as a nation. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God says, renew the right of circumcision. And so this was a new beginning. It was a time of renewal where the children of Israel are afresh consecrating themselves unto God, showing outwardly we are God's people and we are different and we are separated unto the Lord. And the God that called Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God that has led us through the wilderness, we are afresh consecrating and separating our lives unto Him. And so it was a time of renewal. After 40 years, there was a generation growing up that knew nothing in an experimental sense of circumcision. It had fallen by the wayside, both in reality and in spirit. And now the Lord's saying to Joshua, circumcise the children of Israel afresh. There's a generation growing up and they need to understand and know what their forefathers stood for and what it really means to be separated unto the Lord. And we are living in a day whenever we need maybe to look at our lives and ask ourselves the question, am I really separated unto the Lord? Has there been the outward separation? But what about the consecration of heart, a renewal of circumcision? I believe that every denomination and every Christian church and fellowship needs to go through times of renewal. Sometimes whenever a church or a denomination has been in existence for 40 years, and those who have had conviction in the early days have passed on to be with the Lord, this is what's happened here in the nation of Israel. There needs to be a new generation rise up and have Bible convictions and separate themselves afresh unto the Lord. So there was a renewal of circumcision. And then in verses 10 and 11, there was also a remembrance of the Passover. Verse 10, the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, even at the plains of Jericho. This memorial feast was kept four days after the children of Israel had crossed over the Jordan. And the Passover, of course, was a reminder of their redemption. As they looked back 40 years previous to the night that God delivered them by the blood of the Lamb, now they're looking back with fondness, with remembrance, and with gratitude. And this is often referred to as Remembrance Sunday. And it's good to remember God's goodness to us as a nation. But Jesus Christ is our Passover 
sacrificed for us. And it's very important to look back with fond memories to the day whenever you were converted and the day whenever you were saved. And ask yourself the question, is my salvation as real to me now as it was the night or the day that I first got saved? Or do you have to say, where is the blessedness I knew? When first I saw the Lord, where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Maybe today we have to renew our consecration. And maybe today as well as that, we have to remember our conversion. Does it melt your heart whenever you think about the cross? Whenever you think about the Lord's mercy, the Lord's redemption, His forgiveness in your life? Maybe you can look back and, and you think about the conviction of sin that you experienced. And you look back and you say, Well, Lord, I was so anxious that night to receive your salvation. And so thankful whenever you got that assurance that your sins were forgiven. But maybe now with the passing of years, God is calling you to look back and to remember what the Savior has done for you upon the cross and what He did for you that moment whenever you were born again of the Spirit of God. It's interesting that in, in verse number 12, it says, The man has ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. And God is bringing them now into a new place. The man is ceased. And now they're eating of the fruit of the land. They're eating of the fruit of the land. I believe that speaks of resurrection life, newness of life. Christ, our sacrifice passed over for us. Once for all, sacrifice for sins forever. Jesus Christ, broken bread, symbolized in the manna. But now they're brought into the place of blessing. And they're really eating of the fruit of the land of promise that God had given them. So circumcision and the Passover were observed here, but they were observed in enemy territory. They have to conquer Jericho. But before they do that, they outwardly observe these commandments that God has given them, even in the face of their enemies. And that speaks of an outward testimony, doesn't it? Today I wonder, do we really have an outward testimony before the world. Getting back to basics. That's where God wants to bring us today, back to basics. Back to remembrance. Back to renewal. Notice secondly the characteristics of the Christophany. Verse 13 and 14, it says in verse 13, it came to pass as Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And many times in God's Word, you will read about men and women of God lifting up their eyes and looking. Sometimes we can suffer from ingrowing eyeballs, and we're always looking downward, and we're always looking inward. But the Bible calls us to lift up our eyes and to look heavenward, for your redemption draweth nigh. Lift up your eyes and look in the hills, from whence comes our help. Lift up your eyes and look in the fields that are white already to harvest. And here Joshua lifts up his eyes and it says, Behold, a man stood over against him. 
And I believe that's the Lord. Notice the Lord's appearance. There stood a man with his sword drawn in his hand. Behold, a man stood over against him. And we know that therefore this was literal. Joshua is not so much now looking with the eye of faith. He's looking with his literal eyes. And he sees a man standing before him. And this man that is standing before him has a sword that is drawn in his hand. Behold, there stood a man. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Pilate said, as he brought the Lord out before the people, Behold, the man. Maybe you've never looked by faith to the cross. And even this morning in this meeting, God is speaking to you. And he's saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold the man, Christ Jesus. And here Joshua lifts up his eyes and he beholds a man. And this man has a sword in his hand. That sword speaks of justice. That sword speaks of God's eternal word. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword is the word of God. That sword speaks of justice. That sword speaks of God's Word. That sword, I believe as well, speaks of division. Because the Word of God is quick and powerful and, any sharp, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. It divides. The sword divides. The Savior said, I am come to set a man at variance against even his family. And sometimes whenever we trust the Savior, there can be a division in the home. It doesn't mean they were at war against their family, but there's a division, there's a dividing. Maybe your home today is divided. Some of you have trusted the Lord, but some of you haven't. And maybe your home today is divided, but the sword, I believe, also speaks of victory. You study the sword of the Lord in Old Testament Scripture. It always speaks of victory in the battle. And here Joshua sees a man standing with a sword in his hand, the appearance of the Lord, the Lord's appearance. Consider as well Joshua's assurance. Look at the question that Joshua asks in verse 13 at the end of the verse. Art thou for us or for our adversaries? It seems to me that as Joshua asks this particular question, it may be that he's not entirely sure just yet as to who this man is. All he knows is, I'm certain that I want this man to be on my side. Wants this man to be on his side. It is critical today that we know who the Lord is. And it's vital as well today that we have the Lord on our side. Is the Lord on your side this morning? Do you really know this morning who the Lord is? Not just in a doctrinal sense, but in a practical sense. Do you know the Lord this morning? Or is the Lord a stranger to you? And is the Lord today on your side? You know, the truth of the matter is that the Lord is not on the side of every individual. And the Lord is not even on the side of every individual that has an outward profession of faith. At the end of the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 23, verse 16, the Lord says, When ye have transgressed 
the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and gone and served other gods, and have bowed yourself to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord hath given unto you. And there can be times whenever the Lord is against even those that have an outward profession of his name. Joshua wants to be sure that the Lord is for him, because if God is for us, then who can be against us? And our Lord says to us in his word, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, he that is not for me is against me. Is the Lord against you this morning? Is the Lord a stranger to you this morning? Joshua wants to be sure that the Lord is for us. Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Paul says, if the Lord be for us, then who can be against us? The Lord's appearance, Joshua's assurance. Notice verse 14, the Lord's eminence. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come. And here we have the Lord's eminence, the Lord's identity. He says, I am the chief commander of the armies of heaven. That's what it really means. I am the captain of the host of the Lord, the chief commander of the armies of the Lord. And there the Lord reveals himself. The word chief there makes it clear that the Lord is the one with immediate authority. He's the chief captain of our salvation. And he's the captain of the armies of heaven. And he's presenting him now to Joshua as one that has supreme authority. And he indicates to Joshua, I am now come. Joshua, I have come to intervene on your behalf. Joshua, you might be filled with fear as you've crossed the Jordan. And you've entered in as a stranger into the strange land. And now you find yourself in the plains of Jericho. And there's this mighty battle that you have to face. And the enemy is great. And you've renewed your circumcision. And you've, you've remembered the Passover. You've brought yourself to a place of renewal. Well, Joshua, I want to assure you today that I have come to intervene on your behalf. And the battle is not yours, but the battle is the Lord's. Again, I ask you, are you facing a personal Jericho in your life? Get before the Lord. Make sure that you really know who the Lord is. And make sure that you really know the Lord personally. And make sure this morning that the Lord is on your side. Notice as well Joshua's reverence. Verse 14, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And said unto him, What? saith my Lord unto his servant. Here's a man on his face before God. Joshua doesn't take liberties and isn't all pally and isn't all sort of irreverent before the Lord, but he realizes this is the captain of my salvation. And he falls on his face before him. The Bible says God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints and to be had in reverence of all that are about him. And a man on his face before the Lord is surely in a place of humility, 
in the place of awe, the place of surrender, the place of subservience. Christ is to be worshipped. And Joshua comes before this man with a sword drawn in his hand and worships him. And that's how we know that this is the Lord. This isn't a mortal man. This isn't an angel. This is the Lord himself. And whenever a person really recognizes the Lord and worships Him in spirit and in truth, true worship is ever with the spirit of obedience. John Calvin said, the beginning and perfection of lawful worship is readiness to obey. And we see Joshua's reverence and worship whenever he asks the Lord this question, What saith my Lord? Unto his servant, recognizing the lordship of Christ, putting himself in the place now of immediate and wholehearted surrender and obedience, because he's recognizing who the Lord is. He's recognizing that the Lord is speaking to me. The Lord has appeared to me. The Lord has come for my deliverance. And if this is who the Lord is, and if He has come to do all these things, I am afresh surrendering my life to Him in absolute reverence and obedience. I wonder today, is that our heart attitude? Whenever Saul met the Lord on the road to Damascus, do you remember the question he asked? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? There's a prayer for us to re-echo. Lord, here's my life. Lord, I'm before you. And Lord, you've stopped me and you've delivered me and you've brought me so far and you've brought me now to a place of renewal, a place of remembrance. And Lord, I know that there are battles that I have to face. And Lord, I know now that you're for me. But Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, I want to give you my life, my soul, my all. Is there somebody this morning in Lisburn? And that's the prayer that you will pray even now in this meeting. Right now, where you sit there in that pew, will you pray and say, Lord, what saith my Lord unto his servant? Just as Samuel is a young lad sitting in the, the tabernacle at Shiloh, in the quiet moments of the midnight hour, prayed, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Robert Murray McShane said, It has always been my ambition to have no plans as regards to myself young pastor in Scotland in his 20s, shortly before going to be with his Savior. It has always been my ambition to have no plans as regards to myself. And all that Joshua wants is the will of God for his life. Whenever Stephen Alford was ordained to the Christian ministry, his mother, who had been a missionary along with her husband for many years, presented their son with the Bible and inside the Bible, she had written the words, Stephen, God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I believe that's where Joshua was now in his life. What saith my Lord unto his servant? All that really matters. What does the Word of God have to say to me? What does God have to say to my soul? What does the Lord want me to do with my life? This is where Joshua is as he kneels 
in humility before the Lord. The context of the Christophany, the characteristics of the Christophany, very quickly, and we're finished, the consequences of the Christophany. Look at verse number 15. God is willing to speak to Joshua because Joshua has put himself in the place of wanting to hear the word of God for his life. You know, I'm, I'm of the persuasion that whenever you come to God's house, and whenever you open God's word in the closet or in the public place, if you come with an open heart before God, and you say, Lord, speak for thy servant heareth. Lord, I'm before you now, so thankful that you've saved me. But Lord, I want you to speak into my heart. Lord, open thy word to my heart that God will speak. You know, I hear people in different places and they moan and they grumble and they complain about their church or about their Bible class or about their pastor or about whoever it might be. And they say, you know, I'm not getting anything out of, of the church that I go to. And sometimes I, I ask them, well, are you obeying what God is saying to you? Your minister speaks about prayer. Do you give yourself to prayer? Your minister speaks about consecration. Do you give yourself to consecration? He calls you to sit at the Lord's table. Do you find there? He opens up the Bible and says, this is what God says. Friends, if we are not willing to obey God, we're not going to get anything out of sitting under God's Word week after week, month after month, year after year. And you can travel the world wanting a word from God. But God speaks to those who are willing to obey. If we don't have a heart that is desirous to obey, there's no point saying, Lord, what are you going to say to me? I believe God is looking for people who have a heart of unconditional obedience. Sometimes we say, well, Lord, I'll obey you if it appeals to the flesh or if it makes my life more comfortable or, Lord, if it's easy or it prospers me. But God, I believe, is looking for people who come to him and their life is like a blank page and their name is signed at the bottom and they just say, Lord, you fill in the page and you do what you want in my life, but Lord, I just want to obey thy word. And as God speaks to Joshua, and Joshua is an open book, we see what we could call here obeisance, reverence again. In verse number 15, the Lord said to Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. Just the same words that God said to Moses in the backside of the desert whenever the Lord appeared to him out of that burning, burning bush. The absolute holiness of God. Joshua, take your shoes from off your feet for you're on holy ground. And there was nothing holy about that ground until the Lord showed up. Whenever the Lord appears, you'll realize you're on holy ground. You'll fall before him. Maybe we've lost this sense of recognizing the holiness of Almighty God. Revelation chapter 4, John sees into heaven. He sees the Lord sitting upon a throne. And he sees the angels of the Lord standing at a great distance from that throne because in front of the throne, the Bible says, there is a sea of glass. And even in heaven, the angels and the spirits of just men made perfect stand at a distance as they see the holiness and the glory and the radiance of God. Maybe we've lost that sense of reverence. 
Sometimes you come running and skipping in and out of God's house and we open our Bible so flippantly and we listen maybe to the Word of God so carelessly. Maybe have we lost that sense of, of reverence and in a sense loosing our shoes from off our feet. Obeisance. Also obedience. It says at the end of the verse simply, Joshua did so. Joshua now is showing that his willingness to obey was real. And he's just now entering into a new life of new consecration, new remembrance, new love, new fervor, new obedience. He knows that tomorrow there's a great battle that he has to face, but perfect love casteth out fear. And Joshua is in a place where he's absolutely committed and surrendered and consecrated to God, the Word of God in his heart, the call of God in his life, the assurance of God in his soul. And chapter 6 speaks about a life of overcoming. Joshua enjoyed conquest over Jericho, owing to the experiences of chapter 5. Whenever we experience victory in the secret place, we can experience victory in the public place. But I believe it begins whenever there is a renewal of our consecration. Whenever there is a remembrance of Calvary, whenever there is a readiness to obey, this great appearance of Christ to Joshua took place on the evening of the conquest of Jericho to alleviate all of his fears and to animate his faith and to deliver him from what could have been a spirit and an attitude of despair and defeatism. It is so easy to succumb to fear. It is so easy to have in this day a defeatist attitude and to look back and say, but Lord, we have come so far and now we face the walls of Jericho and the enemy is so great and there are giants in the land. But whenever the Lord comes, he alleviates our fears. And he animates our faith. And maybe that's what we need this morning. A new consecration. A, a faith that's really on fire for God. Confidence as we go forward. May God bless you, friends, this morning. Thank you so much for listening.